Gig uh, Podcast for Working Musicians, episode 127 for Monday, August 14th, 2017. <music> Greetings, folks, and welcome. To Gig Gab, the podcast by for and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. Happy Monday, my friend. It sure is Monday, man. Yeah, it's Monday. <laughs> it is. You gig this weekend? I gigged a ton this weekend, oh. and I and you're doing this a little earlier than we usually do it. So I'm just you know kind of coming out of the fog. I gigged. Thursday night with the House Rockers. Friday night, I uh, went up and saw my daughters in San Francisco, and that was kind of nice. Two gigs on Saturday. Whoa. And yeah, and then uh, we had like a nice family brunch uh, on Sunday morning, and then I had to run right to a gig, a three o'clock gig on Sunday afternoon. Oh, so it was wow. a busy weekend. Yeah. Wow. How about any, you? Any, uh, any remarkable moments from your gigs? So there's a bunch of remarkable moments. You know, we're going through this thing where, where we're using the sub drummer and the oh, sub drummer right. is making some, yeah, he's making some, he's making some really good strides all of a sudden. Like one gig was like, uh, I don't know. And then the next gig was a little bit encouraging. And then, and then yesterday was really, really good. So, um, uh, you know, it's just an interesting thing here and different things coming from back there. And, uh, but, uh, that was kind of cool. Um, we played a fundraiser on Saturday night, which was really nice. I mean, you know, those oh, gigs good. where, yeah. yeah, I mean, we, it, we got paid for it, but you know, it's oh. one of those gigs where you're paid. Plus they're really nice and really grateful. Plus they feed you. Plus there was a bunch of stuff leftovers for the guys. You know, I don't know. Do you ever do this? Like I've heard this from a few of the guys in the band that they actually will bring plastic bags and go to the caterer at the end of the gig and any leftovers they can grab, they grab. <laughs> That is such such the classic working musician move. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, when I have. Yeah, yeah. Tell gig, they do that. Yep, totally. To- well, because otherwise the stuff's just going to be thrown away. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I had I had a, a couple of good gigs last last week. Um, on Wednesday, I played a benefit where I didn't get paid, and I'm, I'm and that's fine. Uh, it was with that theater troupe, mostly, well, the core of it was that theater troupe that, um, that I do madhouses with. And one of the women involved, uh, has, has breast cancer, actually had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy, then found out she has lung cancer. So she's actually got that surgery today. So our thoughts are with you, Erica. Um, yeah. So we, so we put on a benefit for Wednesday night, raised like 10 grand for, um, at at the theater where we do these things, and it was more of a cabaret thing than Madhouse is, uh, where it was just people sort of picking whatever songs or performances or whatever they wanted to do, and the band backed up everybody. There were no no nothing really tracked, I don't think, throughout the night. So we played quite a bit, but I got the songs at one fifteen a.m. on Wednesday morning. The song list, I should say, at one fifteen a.m. on Wednesday morning, and of course, downbeats eight p.m. Wednesday night. <laughs> And I had this moment of like, dude, you can't do this to people. Like, I there were maybe I don't know fifteen to twenty songs on the list, and I had heard two of them before. 
So it's like, man. Again, these are theater songs or these are rock songs? No, these are rock songs for the most. There were two theater songs involved um, that were simultaneously the hardest things to do and also the easiest because I was able to find charts for them. So I could, I could just, pl- you know, sight read it and, and go. Um, but the hard part is playing, you know, like rock songs that I've never heard before because you got to know the groove. Like, <laughs> like that's not mm-hmm. written anywhere. So, and I didn't have a ton of time on Wednesday either. So I, I, you know, I prepped it enough. It all worked out fine, but it was sort of interesting having this moment of like, you know, being pissed about, oh, you can't do this to people. It's mm-hmm. like, well, but you also can't show up at a benefit for a woman who has cancer and complain about really anything. So about how hard your life is. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, get over it, David, go just, it's going to be fine. If the crowd complains about something that's not right, they're jerks too, right? So it's all good. Um, but the energy in the room was really, really nice, and it was it was sort of a wonderful moment, um, which which is exactly what it what it was supposed to be, and and so that that worked out well. We had some very nice moments with the band. It was really um, really a good you know a good night from that standpoint too. We all you know we're all in it together. Have you? Um played with any of the guys in Madhouse and other projects in your life? Um, the bass player and I have done a couple of gigs separate from that, but otherwise, no, it's just, you know, it's just been those Madhouse gigs. And so the yeah. band, the band has really developed, you know, it, I was thinking actually the, after the gig, you know, you, you mentioned in the last show, that concept of, of shared crisis, and that's what every single one of these Madhouse things <laughs> is, is just shared. Well, because it's like we don't know the songs. There's Something's going to go wrong anyway. We just need to get through it together. And everybody's just a pro. And we've learned how to rely on each other and, and all of that. And it's happened very, very quickly. So uh, so from that standpoint, it's good. The sad part is, uh, from the standpoint of the band, uh, is that our guitar player is a college student. And so he is going back off to school, actually mm-hmm. down at Emerson. And... Uh, and so the next madhouse will not be with him, but, uh, but I've got, I've got somebody else in mind that might, might be the right fit for that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. What is, what is the um, requirements to play in that band? Um, you gotta be able to play. You've gotta be able to learn stuff very quickly. It doesn't hurt if you can read and you have to have the attitude of whatever happens, everything's going to be okay. And we're going to make it through it and nobody gets to freak out. <laughs> Yeah. So not for, not the gig for everybody. (laughs) Kind of, kind of like a a person who is currently laid back, but spent a lot of years obsessing about learning their instrument. And so, yeah. Are are the song lists typically given to you on, on five hours notice? No, not, not quite that short it, but it's usually, you know, 48 hours notice, which, which, which isn't really all that different. (laughs) I mean, you know, you, you know, it's coming, you know, you've got to put the time in, uh, so yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, it's fun. The next one is a, Good. a Beatles themed madhouse. So I'm looking forward to that. So, and then, you get uh, to choose songs? uh, I will be for the Beatles one. Yeah. I, I've made it clear that, uh, several things would happen. One, we would be tracking nothing, uh, because there's no reason to with a band that can play Beatles songs. And, and number two, we wouldn't be ruining Beatles harmonies by turning them into theater Beatles harmonies. <laughs> I, they can they are they are welcome to uh I, then they are also welcome to find a different drummer if they would like <laughs> uh, so any uh any preview of what you're gonna probably bring in i don't know yeah i mean i i really like that 
that medley. Actually, the one that you guys do as well, the, the whole Drive My Car medley from uh, um, from the Love soundtrack. I think that mm-hmm. could be very, very well done. And and they, and Ben and Brandon are, are into the whole love thing anyway. So I think it'll uh, uh, that one was that one's already sort of been been discussed. So, yeah, it should be should be interesting. I'm curious to see how it all how it all comes together. And then Saturday cool. night, I had gig number three with uh, as the new drummer with Uptown Celebration. And I will agree with your assessment that gig number three is the one where things start to come together. Um, it, you know, I almost felt a little nervous going into the gig because I wasn't nervous. I woke up Saturday morning and, you know, started like, well, I got to play with Uptown tonight. I haven't really been focused on this. You know, it's been six weeks since our last gig. We basically took July off. And um, so it's like, oh, crap, I got to relearn all these songs. And I, so I started going through them. I'm like, man, I know this one. I know that one. I know this. Why? Why do I think I know all of these? And that, and that made me, you know, a little anxious going into the gig. But turns out, I actually know them all. So then um, we had some some rough spots on the gig, but as you would expect. But it went much better than, from that standpoint, much better than either of the previous two. And um, and the gig was over in Maine. It was at a private country club. And uh, and I have I have postulated on this show before how uh, the introduction of recreationally legal marijuana might change the live music scene. And I saw that sort of come to fruition on on Saturday night because in Maine, it's it's 100 percent legal. I don't think dispensaries are open yet, but um, but the uh, possession and consumption and private property and all that stuff is totally legal. Yep. And th- but this is a totally like like super old money upscale country club right at uh over maine and you know maybe song number three the dance floor is like sparsely populated but people are just sort of finishing dinner or whatever I'm like ah, i'm not really worried about it and then suddenly and we're inside but it was a hot night the doors were open windows were open and suddenly like the entire place reeked much worse <laughs> than any fish show i've ever been to it was just That's crazy. it was immediate and all pervasive we all kind of looked at each other like where is that coming from <laughs> it was and 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 we sort of joked with like it's not just one person getting high this is like everybody Whoa. must be somewhere getting high and sure enough man song number four through to the end of the night the dance floor was packed <laughs> Like, okay. I don't, know if I, I don't know if that comes to fruition. I don't know about playing in the smoky club again. That'd be that'd be brutal. Well, that's the thing, right? I was it. It did not get smoky in there. It just you, you noticed the smell. Um, and and yeah, I'm with you though. Like, I would prefer to keep the smoke outside and and the people, uh, you know, inside. So we'll have to see how that goes. Because I'm totally with you. Playing smoky clubs is not not something I wish to return to. Yeah, ever. Never, All right. Never. Well, Ham- Hamilton's law: recreational pot will bring back the dancers. In bring back the revival the, as a club scene. Yeah, I think so. We'll see. We'll see. But it, uh, you know, sure. There you go. Uh what else do we have here? You know, I had a, uh, I had a, a an experience with with Fling a couple of weeks ago, where we rehearsed the week of the gig. And we had a great rehearsal. It was like, uh-oh. Right. Because that's uh, – right. Okay. The kiss of death. That's the kiss of death. Right. So I uh, – and it was up to me to put together the set list as it usually is. 
And so I started thinking, okay, we got to like, we somehow need to take the magic that we had with this rehearsal and, and apply it to the gig. And I thought, all right, here's what we'll do. The first five songs, the problem is you hit the stage too confident, right? And then, you know, you're not alert, you're not paying attention and then things are a problem. So I built the set list so that the first five songs were songs that not only had we not rehearsed, but that we hadn't played together in probably a year. Now, the, a year ago, or even especially, you know, two or three years ago, every single one of these songs was like at every gig and totally automatic for us and all of that. So I knew we were capable of playing these songs, but we weren't comfortable playing with them currently. And that little trick totally, well, I assume that trick worked. You know, I don't have a control group where I have the same band on the same night playing a different set list, but the end result was the band played phenomenal, but we all hit the stage a little bit like, okay, we remember how this one goes. Yep. Okay. You start. Yep. All right, here we go. And, and that sort of set the tone for the night and we were off to the races and in a good way. So I share that little tip. If, uh, if anybody ever runs into that scenario, yeah, sometimes things surprise you, right? You know, yep. sometimes I think I've been sharing that I've noticed that, um, a lot of our regulars, we're not seeing as many of them at, at the uh, at the shows anymore or recently. And my interpretation of this is that we've played so much over the past two or three years in a pretty dense geographic area that, you know, we're just one option right now. They, they think they've seen our show, even though we've added new material. You know, there, there's, you know, a few things going on. A couple new bands coming up that, you know, are interesting to people. Um, different venues, you know, all this stuff. So anyway, nut nut, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get our share of people at any a gig we do, but it's not like it was a big happening just about every time we played. And it's been stressing me out a little bit, but I'm finding uh, my path through this is to take a really kind of like holistic view that, you know, my band is going through some changes, um, you know, rather than stress it, we just go out and just play play your butt off every night and earn some new fans and maybe the pendulum swings back again. And those who haven't seen us much this year will be like, man, those guys are working. They just keep, they just keep going. And then it comes back around again. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I'm kind of putting stock in that whole pendulum theory of life that it swings both ways and life will surprise you. If you just focus on what's what, what you can control is most important. Right. What you can control is how well you play. Right. You know, that's it. Yeah. And yeah, then, you know, right. let, let everything else take care of itself. I think is a pretty, it's a, it's a lesson that I'm learning in a hard way now, not to try and stress and, you know, push the shows harder on Facebook or whatever the, the gut reaction might be, but you know, just play ease off a little bit of the gas of how hard I promote our shows and actually just do stuff. There's plenty of people at the shows. Yep. And then maybe what happens is you come out the other side and you've earned a bunch of new fans, the fans that have taken a little time off. You want to figure out what the buzz is about again. And, uh, and then maybe that's how you go through a little bit of a growth spurt. You know, it's not, it's not linear. It doesn't go straight up into the right, right? It's up, no. down, up, down, down. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point is, you know, taking, in whatever capacity that is, sort of either taking some time off or or even like you said, just taking your, your foot off the gas of the promotion pedal a little bit, not forever, but, you know, for that 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 period of time to create that gap to bring those people back down the road, because you're right, you know, people will burn out 
on seeing the same band playing mostly the same songs over and over again. Uh, but they did have fun with it at one point. And so, like you said, bring some different people in now and then, you know, sort of marketing back to that core group, uh, you know, a little bit later down the road saying, oh, yeah, we should go see. We haven't seen the House Rockers in a while. We should yeah. go see them. They they put on a great show. And and then all those tunes that they, you know, might have gotten a little tired of hearing. They're excited to hear again because it's refreshing. It's refreshing. Yeah. yeah. But I'll also I, I want to share something I, I brought up and you put in the liner notes. I think it was last week about this great brand Pride and Joy. And I was commenting about their set list and. You know, I'm, I'm really um, refocused on that with my band. It's something I'm going to be talking a lot about on the show is like no points for trying to be smart. You know, there are so many great songs out there that will absolutely resonate with people. And my mind has kind of moved on this because I was of the point where isn't it great when you earn an audience uh, and then you can kind of pull out some interesting songs. And if you play them right and perform them right, they'll go over a great they may, but if you want to work, I mean, if you really want to work, I think, you know, the, the path to that is to, you know, know your GB songs and find more of them Yep. and just, just, you know, play a two hour show that just doesn't stop. And we did that yesterday. That's yesterday's gig was really rewarding is that I literally said, we're the end of a, we're on a Sunday afternoon two hour slot. If we take a break, people are going to leave. Yep. And so I'm just going to write a killer set list. That is, that is just high, high energy all the way through string songs, groups of three, four, five songs together, wherever possible. And it, it was a really rewarding gig because we kind of owned it from downbeat and it just kept going up from there. And uh, that, so that was a good one. And I'm just really more thinking about songs that, uh, that will just, kill every time. And I'm thinking a lot about Motown songs. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about those sounds of Philadelphia songs. I'm, you know, stacks, you know, these songs that are just in everybody's DNA. Now, you know, they're in everybody's consciousness. Go find some, the reward will be finding some of those that might be challenging from a vocal standpoint or an instrumental standpoint, and then making them house rocker songs, you know, adding yeah. great horn arrangements to them. Yeah. You, know, you that will always play songs like you. And yeah. and you'll know if it's even if it's the right song because it fits all the other criteria of it's a GB song people like it. If you don't play it well or it just doesn't gel with your band, you'll know that, and then you'll punt on it and find another song that you know that does gel with your band. But um, but yeah, totally, yeah, 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 yeah. You take those songs, you play them, they will sound like you playing them because hey, guess what? It's you it's playing you. them, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, this is what the search is: is like you know, there's the GB songs that are you know, tried and true and, and everybody plays, but I think there's other great songs that are in people's conscious that, uh, that a cover band can, can count on to do the job if you play them. Right. Yes. And so again, there's so many Motown hits. There's so many stacks. hits. there's so many, which is our stuff. There's, there's, you know, some of the songs that are going over great for us. Now we play all star, you know, by smash mouth every night. So that's kind of newer and that's going over great. We play fly by sugar Ray every night and that goes over great. So there are, I guess what you'd call pop songs or, or, uh, or, you know, maybe what we used to call top 40. I don't even know if there is the top 40 anymore, but, um, AC 40, I think is what we call that. Right. You know, adult, adult contemporary 40. I mean, wow. all stars from 1999. It's not new, right? It's nearly 20 years old, yeah. but, but it is that AC 40 thing, adult contemporary, you know? Yeah. 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 So, you know, I'm thinking more, 
my life next year is going to look like we're going to have two to three hours of that. We'll still add the fun stuff. We'll still add the tower of power stuff and the chop stuff. Cause there's, there's gigs where we can stretch and we can do that type of stuff. And then, you know, more and more, I, I was sharing that we played Saturday in the park and, um, yeah. you make me so very happy. There's some, you know, there's some, uh, I don't want to call them mellower, but there's some kind of like moodier songs when we get those midday park gigs where people having a picnic the first half hour, first hour, and then we can start the dance music. So I'm just kind of more thinking about, you know, the totally. life, you know, we, we play, we play clubs, we play, you know, corporate concert series that are dance things. We play um, civic concert series where there's room to stretch. And, you know, we have a big enough repertoire. I think what we need more of is the crush songs. You know, we have, we have some, and we some do. of them are getting tired. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, that earth and fire stuff. I, I love it. It seems to work every time I'm waiting for the time where it feels tired to the band and there, therefore it feels tired to the audience. Well, that's it. Like I said, you, you know, you will know when there's a song that's not working, right? You know, that's just, that it, and, and then you move on. Yeah. Yeah. You, just, you should have a lot of those because those will always keep your band working. Always keep a bit. It's true. It's true. It's funny. You mentioned all-star. We had a, actually a beautiful moment with all-star the, the other night at that benefit. Um, Erica wanted to sing. She had rewritten the lyrics of all-star to be, you know, sort of about what she's going through and she was going to sing it along to a track. And the way the schedule was supposed to work, the band wasn't even going to be out there for that particular song, but then things got twisted around. And so that song was sandwiched in between two that the band was playing and the track started and had lyrics on it. And so they stopped the track and started it again and it had lyrics on it. Ugh. And by this point, our bass player had, he was just playing along with the, you know, it's like a four chord progression or whatever it was. So he was playing along with it. And I turned to the guys. I'm like, do you know, do you know the song? They're always like, they were like, well, I don't, I don't think, no, I, like, no. And, and so then they tried the track one more time. It wasn't going to work. So Erica said, I'm just going to do it a cappella. And I looked at the guys and I said, we're playing it. There's no way that we're doing a benefit for this woman who has cancer and literally leaving her alone on stage yeah. to do this thing. Like, no. So we did. We played it underneath her. We didn't play it perfectly, but it didn't matter. You know, it was enough of the, the gist of the tune to make it through. And uh, and it wasn't about you. And it was correct. It was not about us. Yes, that's well, right. Star is a pretty cool song. It works in a lot of ways because for, you know, 20 somethings. This is uh, kind of their jam. This is their youth music yes. for many of them, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, it works for adults because they've heard it on the radio a thousand times. Um, it's kind of a cool vibe of a song. Uh, definitely a different beat than a lot of things have. Yep. And, you know, All Star works great for us. I mean, we get people bouncing up and down. We've played it at weddings for 20-somethings, and, you know, it's a great bonding moment for the wedding parties and that type of thing. So it, it's a really – and, you know, another thing, not only GB, another thing is – happy songs mm -hmm. you know songs that are lighter in in tone and meaning uh really if you fill your set with those things i bet you'll be more successful than not those who kind of want to you know take your audience through a range of moods you better be pretty darn good you know at your craft yeah. in order to succeed in that you know but yeah. happy songs always work Honky happy songs, songs work. always work yeah playing the hits yeah yeah um, I, you know, I had, I went and saw a few of those, uh, fish shows of their Baker's dozen thing. Um, but they did, you know, they did 13 of them. We saw three, 
one of the nights that I, that we didn't see every night was themed after a, a different donut. And this is going somewhere. Uh, but uh, <laughs> trust me on this. And, uh, and, and they they sort of followed the theme at some level, you know, about the donut. There was one night that we didn't see. It was a Tuesday night show and it was the jam filled donut night. And so everybody assumed that they would, you know, stretch songs out and that's exactly what they did. And then looking at the set list, I was like, you know, I'm kind of glad I wasn't there for that because I mean, you know, I, they're great. It, it's their stock and trade of stretching things out. But it was like, wow, every song. Huh. I don't know. You know, <laughs> and and yet the 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 discussion about this show just kept building buzz and building buzz. And everybody's like, oh, you got to listen to it. So I'm like, OK, fine. So on Friday at my desk, I, you know, I downloaded a copy of the show because they're always available and I played it and I was maybe halfway through the first set. And uh, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And what I realized was they didn't have to put in, you know, they were only playing like five or six song sets instead of maybe 10 or 12 song sets because they were stretching everything out. They were giving themselves permission to just stretch. And every song was a song you wanted to hear. There were no filler tunes or anything like that, which on the other nights, they definitely had to put in, you know, some stuff that you would call filler stuff. Because they didn't repeat a song in 13 gigs, right? So they had to be incredible. Which, which, right, in and of itself is just totally incredible. And every show was really good. How many, how many total songs that over the run? Uh, I think it was 237 or something. And, and I think, uh, you know, over 200 of those were originals and then they, they played covers, but they they play covers at every gig. It's not like they brought in different covers for, or more covers for this. They did bring in some different ones to sort of punch the ticket on some of the theme nights, but otherwise, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, inc- and they, and the, the amazing part is there's a list of songs they didn't play that would be on the list of, you know, quote unquote <laughs> hits. So yeah, but it was just interesting that like that jam filled night, there were maybe 12 songs total. And every one of them is one that, you know, if they played it in a, a sort of a normal show, everybody'd be like, Oh wow, they're playing this song. That's great. You know, I like this song. So, um, so yeah, filling creating a set that it doesn't have any filler material like especially if your job as you see it is to be a a party band well that's your job like Mm. what what part of the party needs filler right Mm. (laughs) like that's you don't like that's what the set breaks are for if you even take them right but like that's the filler material is whatever is played on the ipod you know or on the iphone during set breaks otherwise we know what's interesting you know, thinking about what you said, a DJ never plays filler, right? And so if you right. are battling against DJs for your for your local, you know, club dates. And you that, are. Or, or corporate gigs. <laughs> right. And you are. Yeah. You know, the, you know, they're just digging hit after hit after hit that makes people happy. And that's what a band should do as well. There's no reason that you couldn't play. Right. If, if you're properly prepared, if you're improperly prepared, then yes, you do have to show up and play some filler stuff to, you know, to cover the whatever time slot you've got. But if you know what the time slot is and you properly prepare your band, absolutely, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should, there should be all the hits. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus. Right. That was what Joe Perry always used to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, do we have time to do one of these questions that we've got? We've got an interesting yeah. one. Okay. Let's do it. Yep. All right. So uh, I believe we will refer to this person as Mr. X. Uh I want to preface this by saying I've been gigging since the 80s and I've seen a lot of shady stuff happen, though I believe in a lot of ways things run a bit cleaner than I remember. 
I don't know if that's because of social networking and how quickly news of dishonesty spreads, or maybe I'm just better clued in as I've gotten older and I've stayed away. Whatever it is makes what is just happened to me even all the more surprising. My band has a booking agency we work with almost exclusively, the largest in my area. They operate on a handshake with the idea that if someone doesn't want to work with the other, why force things? It's worked well for us over the years. Uh, we recently were hired by a different agency who did the co-agency thing with ours. I was told the gig was for X with a deposit that would cover the agency commissions. So all I had to collect on show day was what was owed to the band. Simple. Paperwork with the customer was done by the booking agency, and I kept asking for a copy but never got one. Meanwhile, my agency issued its own contract just so we'd have a record of things. Had a great show. Talking with the buyer about what was owed, I discovered that the contract was issued with the buyer for 500 more than what our agency was told and therefore what I was told. This extra 500 was included with the deposit that was sent to the booking agency. Given that my name was on the contract that the buyer had, my initial thought was that there was a miscommunication. Silly me. What in fact had happened was that the booking agency lied to us so they could pocket the extra 500 bucks. My name is on the contract with the buyer, so my perspective is that I become party to fraud without knowing. My agency told me this kind of stuff used to happen all the time in our area, and that I should leave it alone since I was ultimately paid what I expected to be paid and would never do business with this agency again. My perspective is that this is fundamentally wrong and not calling someone out just allows it to continue to happen. So far, I've left it alone, but part of me wants to call the agency and play dumb, saying, hey, I see you collected a deposit beyond the commission. Will you be sending the check for the balance back to me or to our agency just to see how they respond? So he goes on and he says, my conflict at the moment is to whether whether or not to leave it alone or pursue it further. What do you think, Paul? Uh, actually, the first thing I think is. Why isn't this guy's agency doing a little bit more representation since they're getting paid for it? So why aren't they that's a little actually, bit more involved? That's so a that, really good. Isn't that the point of the agency is to take your headaches away, right? Yeah. I mean, they're to say, yeah, this happens it. all the time. You know, I the first pink flag that would go up when you say this is happening all the time. <laughs> are you involved in some kind of fraud? Yeah. What's so what's, what's concerned deal about do my you have? Yeah. yeah. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing, you know, you and I have gone back around. There's there's a. There's two, you know, crossing the beams, you know, to use the Ghostbusters reference, yeah. there's leverage and there's, and there's the amount of BS that you're willing to take. So a, do you have <laughs> leverage and you can apply that leverage to make the situation right? You know, are you the only band in town? Are you bringing a, you know, a ton of people to this? Are you well known on social media? You know, the, where's your leverage point on this and what can you apply? And then there's the amount of BS that you, you know, are willing to take. And especially, you know, a lot of the feedback we get are, you know, experienced musicians have been playing for a while and they, you know, they don't need the gig anymore. And so they're just not willing to have this stuff on their conscience. And so they just, you know, politely say, hey, you know, you're not doing something cool. I choose to not be a part of that. And, uh, and uh, you know, no, thank you. So it's those two things. If you have a leverage and you can apply the leverage to make the situation right. Then you figure that out. If you don't have leverage and you need the gig and you want the gig, you know, then you have to figure out where your moral line is, where your ethical line is. Yep. And, you know, it, that's a, and, and I'm not even going to judge on that. It's a, it's up to everybody to figure out, you know, at the end of the day, some guy involved with this is getting a commission on this, you know, right. Do you know, you know, that happens, right. That's not necessarily unethical per se. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I it's think it's lack. Listed. I mean, his his issue is the lack of transparency. And yeah. and frankly, there was no reason. It doesn't seem to me like there's a reason for the lack of transparency. If this booking agency said, yeah, we're going to get, you know, whatever our commission is plus five hundred dollars, you'd say, OK, you know, but we're going to pay you this. Or if they didn't even talk about what the overall cost of the gig was, if they just said, hey, we want to hire your band and we're willing to pay you X. If you say yes, fine. But it's when somebody pretends to be transparent and then you find out they're not. I mean, I think that's where where Mr. X is having a, a, a moral quandary. And I I get it. Uh, it. It sucks. I was thinking about you this week, you know, with your uh, your your leverage versus BS thing. Um I, I, it's funny. I, I wasn't, I I'd actually decided we'd probably save this for next week's show, but um, this theater, the local theater scene here has been delivering me lots of BS lately and sadly delivering it. Not, it's not, it actually has nothing to do with me. Um, they've just been delivering BS to each other. It, you know, there's like four theaters local to me here. And, um, and whatever it was, four years ago when I started doing theater gigs, it seemed to me like all the, you know, the the actors and, and talent, if you will, were just doing gigs at whatever theater hired them for whatever show hired them. And that like made perfect sense to me. If this person's good for that show over there, then and they want to audition for it and they get the part, then they should do the part. And lately, like in the last year, but maybe it's been going on longer than that. I just haven't been aware uh, it's there's been these these lines being drawn about no if you work with them you can't work with me and and this that and the other thing and it recently started to spill over into my world where I had somebody in fact it was while I was doing that benefit the other night somebody texted me and said you know the the person at that theater wrote to the person at this theater uh, saying bad things about me and so if you continue to play with them I'm not going to hire you. And I said, there are a million reasons why you might not want to hire me. Don't you <laughs> dare ever lay out an ultimatum with me. Just choose not to hire me. I am not going to play this game. And, uh, and, but I, and I really try to stay out of the politics because it's ridiculous. It, I mean, it's literally like high school never ends. Um, and being a musician, I've actually, you know, being a pit musician in this scenario, I've mostly been out of it. This is the first time that it really kind of, kind of came home for me. And, uh, and so I asked the people about it and, and the woman's like, yeah, well, I did write this letter. And it's like, oh man, like, what are you people thinking? We have a really small community here and it, you know, there's, there's only so much talent. And I mean that from the, you know, the actor standpoint, the musician standpoint, and you don't want to alienate people like me that are just willing to show up and do the gig. And uh, like, that's just starts to get weird. And I said, and and this woman didn't realize, you know, by doing what she was doing and having this, you know, sort of behind the scenes battle with with this other person that it would spill out in in unpredict or unforeseen ways. And, and she's she apologized. She's like, oh, really? But, you know, I, I got to defend my pe-. I'm like, no, you really don't just be an adult. Don't go picking fights. And uh, and then the next day I see the whole thing exploding publicly on Facebook. Uh. And, you know, again, as a musician in the scene, it's like, man, like my first reaction, if I didn't have a show at that theater this week, I have. And that's why we're doing this early, because I've got to go to a rehearsal 
I would just have walked away and and completely ignored these people for a month and let them do whatever it is they're going to sort out. And then I decide whether or not to get back involved. But deciding on Friday not to do a show where rehearsals start Monday and the show is a one weekend show that you know runs this weekend. That screws a lot of people. Yeah. I was OK screwing a lot of people because I didn't ask to be in this particular ridiculous situation. But, you know, I, I like I don't like to screw people. So I had a couple of conversations and I said, OK, look, I everybody gets one. Everybody. We all screw <laughs> up. Right. It's fine. We all screw up. Everybody gets one. But the next time I hear about it and I don't care who it's from, I'm just like if I don't show up, you can figure out why I'm just yeah. going to walk away because I don't I take for this. I don't need it. You know? Yeah. 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 So- so I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you and I'm kind of filtering this a little bit. And here's what I hear. Sure. Yeah. I'm, and I, clearly this is all fresh for me. I'm still very much processing this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Creative scenes, all creative scenes mm-hmm. are almost by definition incestuous and almost yes. by definition competitive. Right. Yep. Um, I, I had a, I mentioned last week that this great local band Sage was um, calling it Retiring. after 48 years. Yeah. And I, the guy is a leader, is a, a buddy of mine, and I sent him a couple notes, and he sent me a really nice note back saying, you know, that a that he appreciated my notes, and that you know over all the years the amount of pettiness he's seen with other bands, insisting to make it a hyper competitive situation that's just not hasn't been productive or constructive, and those that tend to live that way tend to die that way. Yeah, was was one of the points he made, and uh, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think um, you're right. You know, every creative community is is by a stretch definition, a small community. People talk, people know each other, there are connections. The laws of unintended consequences are going to play out not in your favor almost all the time. Almost all the time. And and I had to think about that. Like, if I bail out on this, the first thing that I like as I'm, you know, processing, because I always try to think six steps ahead, you know, like, what's this going to mean to me if I bail out? It's like, well, these people are going to be pissed at me and they'll probably never hire me again, but uh, I'm walking away because I don't want to work with them. So that that's that's OK. And then I thought, well, what about, you know, that guy over at UNH that I like to work with? He's not really yeah. like he, he's not involved in this, but he's going to hear that I bailed out on a show and he's probably not going to hear the whole story. Even if I tell him the whole story, all he's going to hear is, oh, there was some BS politics that happened all the time and Dave didn't like it. And he walked away. Gosh, there's going to be BS politics all the time. Yeah, I would say I would say that that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my path to this probably would have been uh, tell the people you're not cool with it. Yes. Play the the show. Yeah. Play the show because it's an obligation and there's a lot of other, you know, connecting points to that, that uh, that, you know, are relying on you immediately after, you know, tell people to go jump in a lake and tell them your reputation is more important to you than, you know, than anything else. And uh, and then, you know, talk, you know cover your butt and talk to other people, you know, that you want to know, you know, yep. I, you're going to hear that I've left and I, I, you know, I just want to let you know why. And I'm not, I'm not okay with that. You know, I respect you, but I wouldn't be okay with that if you did that as well. And so, right. you know, and just, uh, you know, be, be the change you want to be, you know, yep. model, model the behavior you want, you want to have happen. Well, that, and that was it. And it's funny. Cause I was talking to my daughter, you know, I was talking to my family about this as I was processing it. 
and and the word leverage came up. It's like, you know, okay, what leverage do I just Dave, the you know, the lowly drummer have here? And 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 if I have any, like, where do I want to apply it? Because I, you know, I get once right to 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 apply any bit of leverage. And it's like, really, what I want is to never hear about this again. And especially I don't want the public like the people that are going to attend these shows. They should never ever be this should never be happening anyway but there's always going to be weird stuff happening but it should never get to the point where it spills out into the public like oh what an awful thing to do to a scene that nobody's making a fortune for i mean this isn't like you know nobody's living or dying i mean but some people are and that's the thing like some people there's they you know work full-time at the theater here or there wherever and it is their livelihood so i guess they are living or or dying by this but Still, man, it's like, you know, what would be an interesting conversation. You and I are kind of like far enough down the road where our perspective is fairly grand. And we, you know, you know, and we, you know, we're, we're willing to say these things and our lines are a little bit different. You know, I, I'd like to say I have still have entire empathy for that struggling artist who, um, you know, is faced with these kind of moral dilemmas. Totally. On our, you know, because you need the gig in order to, you know, or do you? And I actually, I don't even know. You know That's what, the what, question: is Is there another what, gig what around the corner? What advice would you give your kids? Right? You know, what would, what advice if they were if they were aspiring musicians? Would you say, um, you know, for the next ten years, and then your leverage point will change and your BS point will change? But you know, for now, you kind of got to do some. I think about my my sax player. Yeah. So when he started playing with me, he was twenty one, right? Yep. And um, you know, he is an extraordinary sax player. I mean, he's he's an extraordinary performer. He has an a one of the most amazing innate BS meters, and he seemed to know who he was from a very early age. And uh and he didn't seem like he was ever willing to do to do something that he wasn't willing to do mm. for the sake of a gig. He has, but he was kind of an extraordinary young guy. And, you know, th- these choices weren't choices to him. His, his internal right, meter right. just guided him to a place where, um, you know, he, he smelled BS and, and he wouldn't put up with that. And remember, you know, he's played with me now for say, 17 years wow. and, uh, and I've seen, you know, him basically grow up yeah. and uh, yeah. you know, this is his moral code. That's the way he's wired. He, and so they're not even choices to them, but I get it that there's a lot of, you know, uh, other younger musicians that are trying to figure this out. How can I build a career if I don't have a gig? And if I don't have a gig, you know, if I'm going to be picking about gigs, am I ever going to get a gig? I, I have to think about it. And maybe it's an interesting episode for us to kind of apply and maybe get some younger musicians on here to kind yeah. of talk about, it. but, um, yeah, for for me, it's it's that I am happy, like being aware that there's some of this BS going on. As long as it doesn't affect me, I, I basically am happy to show up and do the gig if, if uh-huh. the actual playing of the gig is fun, right? But yep. but that does create a problem, right? Because I'm essentially allowing this stuff to happen, knowing that I don't really buy into it and I, I don't really like it, but I like playing the gig. And so, you know, like that, like, but that, that then creates exactly what I experienced last week where it's like, okay, now finally, you know, the tip of the iceberg or the straw that breaks the camel's back. Here we are. I'm not going to talk to you about this stuff as it's going on because I'm not interested in being involved. But when it does involve me, then we have a huge problem. Sure. And, and maybe that's not, maybe that's not good. 
but it is it is how I've conducted myself and I sort of have to live with that. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Food for thought for the week, folks. That's how it is. You got anything more, Paul, or are we good to uh, send it on our way? Yeah. Covered some intense stuff today. So, we did. Um, yeah, it was an intense week. Like <laughs> highs and lows for certainly for me. Yeah. 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 All right, folks. Well, have a uh, have a splendid week. Always be performing. Find us on Facebook. Businessshow.co slash Facebook. No, that's nope. the other show I do. GigGapPodcast.com slash Facebook. Know your line. Where's your BS <laughs> line? <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>